welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like faking orgasms, (laughs) being a toxic older sister, and pretending that everything is okay. Mm -hmm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed therapists and... Most of our advice comes from things we've read on Instagram. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Sam and I are not professionals. We are not trained in this. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love slash life. It's all (laughs) changing it up. Like it's all confusing. It's Um, all confusing. Before we get into this week's check-in topic, we need to thank our fantastic patrons who support us at the $10 level over on Patreon. You all make it so possible for us to do the show. Thank you so much to Haley. Thank you so much to Kat. Thank you to Kristen K. Thanks to Christy O. And thank you to Brittany R. If you would like to have your name shout out on this podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $10 a month or more. Uh, And if you support us on $10. (laughs) Oh, really? Everyone gets it now? No, no, no. Oh, yeah. If you want to get shouted out. But I'm saying you can support us on (laughs) Patreon for $5. (laughs) Okay. Got it. Uh, for $10 a month, you get shouted out on the podcast. You also get access to a video recording of our Patreon episodes. If you support us for $50 a month, you get a guaranteed answer to your letter, either on the podcast itself yep. or from a private video from us. If you support us for $5 a month, you don't get shouted out. Sorry. But you do get an, a, an additional bonus weekly episode. Yeah. And the backlog of episodes that have been recorded for like the past two years or something like that. Yeah. Um, and also, if you're a patron, you also get like tickets to live shows and stuff for too. Free. they're like yeah they're cool there are other little too. perks and yeah. you know for anybody who's interested in the video of our of our um the video level at ten dollars um a patron recently told us that we have excellent lighting so <laughs> oh good i know so cute <laughs> that's funny because we spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out our lighting before we recorded <laughs> labor well spent <laughs> Um, Okay, so this week's check-in topic, we're going to do something light and easy. Um, I recently found an article online. I told you, everything we talk about is from the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, From the Refinery website, um, Refinery29, and it is 2021 dating trends um, pulled primarily from data from Bumble. Um, And there's four trends that are actually kind of new that I haven't heard of. Normally, we talk about these types of things on the Patreon episodes, but I thought it'd be fun to unpack it here on the primary show. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first dating trend of 2021, which you will love, is was something they called hardballing, which essentially means dating like the CEO and not messing around with partners that aren't serving you. And <laughs> the quote from the Bumble release is, quote, Over the past year, almost 70% feel the pandemic has given them an abundance of time to focus on themselves. And 43% of them shared that they have more confidence to say what is and isn't right for them in their dating life. This also, end of quote, but I feel like this data also aligns with the rise of just breakup listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I'm going to claim that 43%. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Hardballers. That's hardballing. Okay. Interesting. I don't like that because it sounds so aggressive. It sounds so like 
corporate and capitalistic yeah yeah and like we're in competition with each other and it's like i don't think it's hardballing i think it's just sort of like healthy boundaries having having (laughs) self-respect i don't know yeah 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 or that you have somehow that you have to be like on the top of the food chain to be of the corporate food chain to be like self-respecting and having boundaries you know right no absolutely like you don't have to be a ceo to like have good boundaries and right and like deserve love so i'm gonna i'm gonna push back a little bit (laughs) you're gonna love this one though the next trend that they see is astro love in which people are looking for compatibility based off of their zodiac sign like okay, this is camp- not a new trend. Yes, no, no, no. But like they Bumble noted that people who shared their sign had almost a 60% increase in their average number of matches. That's crazy. That is so weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, everyone, put your damn sign on your Bumble. Yeah, yeah. And and they also added not to further their ego, but Leo's got the most matches of any star sign in 2020 according to Bumble. I think everyone loves Leo's. <laughs> Everyone, like everyone hates Gemini's, but everyone loves Leo's. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. Um, okay, so the next trend is, sl- well, wait, time out. Would you astro love date? Like, would you care about astrological signs? No, I know a lot about astrology, but honestly, I think it's all made up. <laughs> no offense, people. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So the next trend, um, which I actually really like, um, maybe I wouldn't be able to participate in it, but I appreciate is slow dating. Um, It's like throwing your relationship in a crockpot, they say. Um, Mm. The slow dating is taking a little bit more time to get to know each other before meeting up in person um, and generally being more selective, which is, I think, probably a product of COVID times, you know, and and also like a smart time for COVID times. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we've read a lot of letters that like people virtually date yeah and then decide to meet up or something like that yeah i think that makes sense like i can see both sides of the coin on that one because like i also feel like sometimes when i was on dating sites we would like peek over chat and then we would meet up oh my god for after real. like <laughs> after chatting for like two months or whatever and it'd be like oh we should have just met earlier and recognized that like we're not actually in person compatible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also I'm I am always a fan of the slow, slow burn of relationships of like yeah. taking the time to get to know people and actually sort of like spending time talking about boundaries and preferences and all of those good things early on rather than like diving headfirst. So I'm I'm on board with the slow cooker. I am too, but I'm more of like a seer, <laughs> a seer dater, you know, like flip both sides and then it's done, you know? Yeah. Like well, I just, you love going to the grocery store with I people. I literally so like... was thinking of that example in my head, Sam Blackwell. I was literally like, I can think of a hundred times where I started dating someone and I was like, I got to go to the grocery store. Do you want to come? Um, Just like dive in right in. But to my own discredit, the seer, I'm going to call it the seer tactic, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a slow cooker. You're a seer. <laughs> you're like, but the searing pan, tacket, <laughs> steaming the, oil. <laughs> yeah. And you burn out quickly. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's the searing yeah. tactic doesn't necessarily turn into long-term sustainable meals. Instead, it's like, you know, raises your cholesterol and, and it's like the appetizer that you eat in like five seconds. <laughs> or does it, does the seer tactic help? 
keep the juices in the relationship. Oh, yeah. So juicy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, two more trends. The next one will be really fast because it's like, oh, yeah, duh. Increase, yes, absolutely more virtual dating. A survey from Bumble said that 46% of all daters on their app preferred virtual dates first over meeting Mm -hmm. up in person, probably a result of COVID. But I also think it's probably... um, in indicative too of of younger generations and the technology that comes with um gen z folks and millennials you know how we're mm-hmm. we're much more comfortable on our phone um than we are in person i think at least in the beginning mm-hmm. yeah for sure um and then the last one which i think is really charming and i'm gonna wait uh, like i'm waiting to see this trend show up on in our letters is something the article calls the rise of quote new dawn daters um and this bumble says that one in four of their u.s users will be classified as a new dawn dater or folks who broke up with their long-term partners during the pandemic um Uh-oh. and Ew. so i know well gosh i mean how many pandemic breakup letters did we get people really being challenged um by the pandemic um by the circumstances um by their basically their relationship being thrown to the wolves of mm-hmm. isolation and quarantine um but all these new daters now who left their long-term partners or like whose relationship couldn't sustain through the um or not that they couldn't sustain, but who timely ended during the pandemic. Um, mm. They're new to dating apps and they're they're understandably anxious about dating right now because of the pandemic, but also feeling that sense of newness and unsurety and lack of confidence that comes with leaving a long term relationship and having to get into the dating world again. Yeah, no, that's legit. I I have a friend who is older than me who um, is queer identified and has been like on the apps since she broke up with her um her partner a few years ago right and is like this is not this is not designed for me like this is not a place where i find like (laughs) health like this is not a place where i found sustainability um and so she actually just sent this like recorded powerpoint (laughs) to all of her (laughs) queer friends and was like hey i'm being vulnerable here i am like ready for i'm ready to meet a new person were I the can't slides, do the apps anymore. Were the slides yeah, like, like different things about them? Oh my God, yeah. that is adorable. No, and so it was like, here's what I'm looking for. Here are my preferences. Here's some stuff about me. Like, this is both for you as my friend to know like who to send this to. And also like, please forward this PowerPoint to people that you think are going to be good matches is, for me. <laughs> that is painfully adorable. It um, was amazing. I was you, just you like, Dawn I love this so much. Out there, yeah, you right? can make a PowerPoint. <laughs> I, try it. I mean, I, I love a PowerPoint. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. In, in any like workshop I ever taught. For sure. I will let you know how this goes because I'm <laughs> yeah, super excited pl- about it. Keep me abreast of this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So those are the five upcoming dating trends of 2020, according to Bumble's data, as distributed to us through the Refinery29 website. <laughs> Great. Love are, it. You ready to get into our letters? Let's do it. All right. The first letter is from Faking It, who is writing to us from Shames- Shamesville. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, my birthplace. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. 
Hi, I love your guys' podcast, and I'm binging them not only for the fantastic entertainment, but also the great advice. Thanks for all you do. My letter is a little complicated, so I'll try to dive right in. Trigger warning for rape. I am bisexual, she, her, and have been with my boyfriend, he, him, for six months now. I'm very happy with him. He makes me feel safe, compliments my values and life well, and accepts me completely with all my goofy and out there charm. Our relationship is very important to me. Unfortunately, my first ever experience with sex, not with my boyfriend, was horrific to say the least. I will not go into detail, but when I was 18, I was raped. And on top of that, the act was filmed by one of my abusers. For years, this strongly impacted my sex life. And as my therapist has helped me come to understand, I reenacted my trauma with other parties in consent questionable encounters. Sex was not physically enjoyable for me. It felt more like something that was not only expected but owed, and I treated it as a performance. I just have to pause and say that it's like so eloquently mm-hmm. stated, um, mm-hmm. incredibly relatable to those of us who share life experiences um, or feelings. I just have to like take a pause for how. I mean, like I'm learning about myself through the way the letter writer wrote that right there. I just have to say that. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Continuing. Sometimes I even got the feeling that the more I pretended to enjoy it, the quicker I could get it over with, get away from the partner and find some reason to never see them again. Fast forward to nearly five years later, and luckily a lot of head and heart work has allowed me to have several positive experiences with respectful partners. One was with a woman who was first my friend that I loved deeply, but she felt that she was not ready for a same-sex relationship out in the open. I completely understood, and we managed to maintain a positive friendship despite the lack of a romantic attachment and have been able to experience other loves. The second was with a male partner who I lived near at the time, and we hooked up casually for a few weeks at the beginning of quarantine. I only mentioned him to say that he was my first male partner I had in which he made me feel safe and respected throughout our casual sexual relationship. And we too have remained fond, distant friends that respect each other's boundaries. Read, we both know we have no intentions of sleeping together again. Because of these two relationships, I felt as though I could have a positive sex relationship with a future partner, but since neither of them were very serious in terms of commitment or even length of time hooking up, I didn't realize that I still had some unresolved conflict with my relationship with sex and a committed love together. Which brings me to my current relationship. I have obviously felt other forms of love before, but this is my first healthy, committed love in which I truly trust my partner and even see a future with him. The problem is with our sex life. Despite my trauma, I have a very high sex drive when I am emotionally attracted to my partner. My boyfriend also has a high sex drive, and this has been great for us except for one issue— When we first started hooking up, my boyfriend began to notice I seemed very performative in bed, almost fake. He talked to me about it in a very loving way and asked why I felt the need to act the way I did in bed. This led to many conversations about my sexual history, my relationship with sex, and me admitting that since sex wasn't physically enjoyable for me, I tended to focus all of my energy into performing for my partner. I had, and sometimes still have, a hard time receiving pleasure because it feels so vulnerable and out of my control. He was very kind about this, and we have worked on our communication, especially in I, to voice what I want. It has led to some of the best sex of my life. Here's the problem. I confessed to my partner that I... 
fe- that I didn't feel I could ever orgasm from sex alone. It just doesn't feel possible for me. He was sympathetic, but I think he then began to make it his mission to make me orgasm from sex. He felt bad that my experience with sex had mostly been negative, and even in my positive encounters, I didn't have this experience. After trying for so long to make me orgasms from sex, I began to internally feel guilty and inadequate. I know he wasn't trying to make me feel this way. I never voiced it to him, but instead I did the worst possible thing. I began to fake it. My guilt was compiled when I saw how happy he felt when it happened, like our connection and hard work had finally paid off. I also think that he felt it solidified the fact that I felt happy and safe with him and that our sex somehow even became even more meaningful and connected now. And it, me orgasming from sex, would only get easier and better with time. The worst part is... It isn't like I felt unsatisfied with our sex. I absolutely love it, and he has certainly gotten me off in other ways. But with sex, it just felt impossible. And the fact I knew no matter what he does, it just wouldn't happen made me feel like I was disappointing him, especially since all his previous partners were were able to come this way. I just couldn't stand how patient he was being with me for something that I feel almost certain just doesn't work with my body. No matter how good the sex is, that just isn't what my body physically responds to. Now, I don't know what to do. I know this partner loves me dearly, and I want a future with this person. To be honest, I don't know if faking it makes me a liar or awful. Sometimes it feels like how someone else might, I don't know, let their partner spank them or put on a costume because their partner is into it. I think my guilt more comes from the fact that I feel like I'm lying to someone who I've worked so hard to build trust and safety with. And I'm terrified that they, if they ever found out our relationship would be over because of my dishonesty. This has been going on for a while now, and I don't know how to stop if I should talk about it or if it's okay for me to continue to fake it. The answer might seem obvious, but it does seem to be also a slight turn on for me, especially when I see his reaction. It is also how I've been able to kind of signal when I'm satisfied slash done with having sex for the moment. Oh, my God. That is so real. That is so so fucking real. This whole letter. We're not even like five more sentences, but I fucking am obsessed with this letter. Um But then other times I feel guilty, crazy, and broken. Any words of wisdom and advice you could offer would be so appreciated as the whole thing has felt too vulnerable for me to bring up to even my any of my close friends and support support system. Thank you so Mm. much for all that you do. And I appreciate your time if you do get the chance to read this letter. Sincerely, faking it. Okay, we've we've read the letter. We've chosen it. We've aired it. And we're obsessed with it. (laughs) (laughs) Not not in the typical obsession, but just like you have beautifully articulated so many mirrored um dynamics in my own life um that i feel it's one of these wonderful experiences that i that i've had on this podcast more than once when i truly learn from our um our listeners experiences honestly i i said Mm -hmm. it has happened more than once but it always happens i always feel like bettered and um, educated and empowered by our listeners, but particularly in this letter, the way you articulated it, faking it, um, I relate so hard and I'm just grateful that you took the time um, and the vulnerability to, to share this with us. Absolutely. Um, I guess the first thing that I just want to say, like out the bat, as we say, (laughs) (laughs) as we say, 
is just to say that you're not a bad person for faking oh orgasms. <laughs> oh my god. You are not like, a bad mm, person. No, absolutely not. And I don't and I think this is one of those things where it's like you just you did what you needed to do in the moment and you yes. you like you did what you needed to do and and I think I think that there's this like I don't know, this like trope around faking orgasms and like I think it ties into like misogyny about how like women aren't to be trusted and they're all like you know, they're all trying to like cheat you out of things yeah, and or whatever. Yeah, vaginas are like mystical. <laughs> yeah, right? Um and this trope of like, oh, yeah, if you make a woman come from orgasming, that makes you like a real man. Like all of these like weird things that are playing out that have like built up this like faking orgasm thing into like this big deal. But like I've faked orgasms, not like in sex, but like, yeah, in in sexting for sure, where I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like not <laughs> even at home. I'm not going to. But yeah, sure. Why not? Totally. Like, I think. I think that. Lots of sex is performative. Lots of sex is performance. Yes. And I and I think that there's this like really built up thing around like orgasms because every sex is so orgasm focused in the world that like that suddenly it has become made into this really big like betrayal when it's like not. It's right. like we are we are often performing in sex because like, again, exactly what you say in this letter, like people get off on getting us off. Right. So it's OK for us to like moan and make right. noises and like put on a little show because we know that it's making our partner it's turning our partner on like those things are all okay in the right circumstances and the right thing like well, the right situation right um i think to just to echo sam's sentiments in terms of like do not let this make you feel like a bad person um yeah. we think about lying we, we we have like two categories for lying right like white lies <laughs> that we understand mm -hmm. like culturally and then then bad lies like lies that make you a bad person um but just like everything else in the world um it's more complicated than that sex mm -hmm. is so complicated and stressful and um uh not talked about it's it's we are not taught the realities of sex at all even in i would say i, I know that there are some up-and-coming sex sex ed programs that are really amazing that are mm -hmm. really inclusive and really dive into the nitty-gritty outside of just like the limitations of biology um but we're just not taught the realities of sex and the, especially when it comes with trauma, especially, you know, we're not taught about the intersections of um, emotions and sex and relationships and sex and how we feel like we owe so much to our partners. Um, this is all to say, faking it, that like, I don't want you to see the equation. I'm lying about something and have it equal, I'm a bad person. It's so much mm -hmm. more complicated and nuanced than that, um, particularly real. in this situation. So I'm begging you to give yourself as much compassion and space in this situation because you are definitely not a bad person for being in this situation and for responding in the way, like, first of all, you're responding in, in a couple of different ways. You're responding out of survival tactics that you've learned through trauma and also through our social conditioning about sex, right? I was right. taught that my job in sex was to receive pleasure so that I would be pleasurable to others. That That is mm -hmm. literally what I was taught. 
you know, to be a, an object. Um, but two, you're also responding through to this um, scenario through the lens of love. Like you, you wrote it so eloquently that you're trying to, you're literally, you are doing the best that you can in this moment to make your partner feel loved and to, and to, and you know, and you're doing the best that you can. Now we know Sam and I can see on the outside of this situation um, that, that, that you can make a better, more vulnerable, not even a better, you can make a more mm-hmm. vulnerable um, decision for your life that you deserve. Like you deserve to be able to be honest with your partner, but you are also, you're acting out of survival and you're acting out of love. So don't think you're a bad person. You're just, you're, it is too conflated to think that you're a bad person because you fake an orgasm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying like, I'm not saying everybody should go out and fake orgasms because they love people, but you have to <laughs> think about the, how much pressure we put on ourselves to be perfect. Sometimes it really helps to stop and think, well, what are my motives? Are my motives evil? Are they cruel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they, are they mean spirited? You know, no, they're, they're literally out of like fear, survival, love, um, a desire to be what you want, what your partner wants you to be. And all of those inherently are, are good. You know, now we just mm-hmm. have to make those intentions align with the health and sustainability of your life. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's good advice for not just orgasms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I feel like half uh, of, half of our heartache is because we are so hard on ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. I, I read sure. that all throughout this letter. Like we're just so mean to ourselves. For and sure. if we stop and think like, am I trying to be cruel here? Like what am mm-hmm. I, how are my intentions getting lost? You know? For sure. And I think that there are also a lot, it gets even more complicated when sex is involved because right. like there are so many unspoken and assumed shared understandings of sex um that we just like don't talk about it and, and like we're we are definitely um conditioned to not want to talk about it that it becomes like a lot of really deeply ingrained beliefs about the way that people's bodies work and the way that people um should and should not perform during sex uh just like come to the surface and it's like really hard to like challenge them because it's so uncomfortable to talk about sex and even when you do and stuff like you said like i don't think i can come from penetrative sex <laughs> and your boyfriend was like cool i'm going to take that as a as a challenge <laughs> to like make that happen for you um as opposed oh to God. like listening and saying like so hard <laughs> right as opposed to listening and saying thank you for sharing that with me I will honor that truth about who you are and what your body does. And we will find other ways to make sure that you are experiencing pleasure in the sexual encounter that we're having. Um, And like, that's really challenging. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to shade your boyfriend either. Right. Like this is sex is complicated and it is not talked about. Um, And the only way that we can move forward is to like have really candid conversations about sex and what we want out of sex and how we want our sex to go and, and fight back against that sort of impulse that has been ingrained in us to like, just not talk about it. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine. So like spoiler alert, I think Sam and I both think that you should 
have an honest and vulnerable conversation with your partner. Right, Sam? Do mm-hmm. you agree? Okay. Um, and that we, I, we both want to acknowledge that we know that this conversation will be really challenging and will feel scary and, and will also maybe be t- triggering. You know, it's, it's very, it can be really scary to go against the grain of, of our own edification, you know, like how, what, how we've been taught to engage with desire and sex and pleasing our partners and love to go against that. This is why we let our boundaries be stepped on for, for decades because Mm. it doesn't feel intuitive to change the narrative. But I guess Sam and I are here just to say, you can, you can, this is not only your right to have like a safe and vulnerable um, sexual relationship with your partner that is not based on you folding yourself um, excessively into what you think that they want. Um, It's also for the good of your relationship. I know that there's a lot of fear. Like, I think this is, I relate so fucking deeply to your letter. And so I think about what would I be feeling in that moment? And like, in the decision to like right before I tell my partner that I've been faking it for six months or whatever, um, I would be afraid that I would be hurting him um, by not being what he wants me to be. I would be afraid that I would be disappointing him and hurting him for, for withholding or lying um, or, you know, faking it. Um, I would be afraid that I would be, that he would see me as unlovable because I couldn't come that way. And because I was not perfect for him. Like that's what I would, that was what I would be afraid of. I share that all not to affirm any of those fears, but to tell you that our, our ingrained desire to make other people happy lies to us regularly. You know, Mm -hmm. it, 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 our subconscious always wants to assume that we are unlovable when we are not the exact thing that our partners want us to be. But that is not true. There are people out there who sure are going to be assholes or who are just not going to be compatible to us. But more importantly, there are people out there who love us for, for the reasons we can't even understand whether we can't even fathom they love us for who we are inherently and not for what we do for them or what we provide for them or whatnot um and i think that conversation could truly and genuinely deepen and greaten your connection greaten is that a word sure (laughs) i don't think so but i like it (laughs) sure could deepen and better the connection that you have with your partner before I get into the script, I just got to say for like the 80th time on this podcast, I cannot come from penetrative sex. This is something that I have shared just because mm-hmm. I feel like it's an important thing to say, not because I want people out there picturing my orgasms. Um, but I mean, like, do what you got to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, go ahead. Say it. No, I just this obsession with orgasming from penetrative sex is everywhere gender essentialism at its worst (laughs) like it is just it is like all other like penetrative penis and vagina sex is paramount it is the only real type of sex and both people must orgasm from that type of sex or else it's not real sex like right it's just it this type of conversation frustrates me not because like i'm not frustrated with your partner as an individual right like i am frustrated with this system around sex that 
hurts us so much by focusing it so much on this particular type of sex that is rooted in anti-transness, that is rooted in homophobia, that is like rooted in misogyny. And it's just frustrating to me. (laughs) And I want to highlight a gift that you've given our listeners faking it in the way that you have described what you feel like you can and cannot do. You literally Mm. said so beautifully multiple times in this letter. I just feel like it's something impossible. It's it's not meant for my body. It's not going to happen. And I could Mm -hmm. not relate more. I could not relate more that like I can have the best penetrative sex of my life and it's not going to happen that's just not the way it's going to go it's not about reaching it's not it's not about the performance it's not about the partner it's not about the endurance it's not about the style it's just not going to happen for me that way and (laughs) and i want the list the why i call it a gift is that if there's anybody out there who could benefit from hearing that like hear that loud and clear that that's not it doesn't mean that you're you or your partner, like whoever is you're thinking of in this scenario, it doesn't mean that um, you or your partner are broken. It just is not for your body in that way. And that mm-hmm. is the norm. Just so you know, the statistically, folks who have vaginas who orgasm through penetration alone are in the statistical, uh, what's the word? Tininess. Minority. There we Minority. go. <laughs> I guess I just want to like out that weird personal thing about myself because mm-hmm. I know how much shame I carried around and how much guilt and performative um, uh, pressure I felt just like our letter writer for years. And d- darling, darling, faking it, my dear letter writer, I need you to know that whenever I got the cur, I don't even remember the path that I took. Um, But whenever I got the courage to stop faking it um, is when I started having more intimate relationships, when I started Mm. having better sex. And also I would I felt like I had longer lasting, better relationships because the people who didn't respect that part of me, I would weed out faster. (laughs) Does that make sense? Mm hmm. So what I'll say is, too, like, there's nothing wrong with faking this orgasm, right? Like, this is something that you've learned how to do because of, like, the the pressure around penis and vagina sex, even though, as Sierra said, like, the majority of people with vaginas don't come from <laughs> penetrative sex. Right. And I'll say to you, like, it's okay if you want to continue to fake these orgasms. Like, it, it is okay for you to want to do that. doesn't make you a bad person. I right? think you articulated the performative aspect of sex really well in the beginning like sure in a way that i wasn't even thinking of that you're right like there is a performance Mm -hmm. factor because you are invested in your partner's experience pleasure yeah for sure but also what i'll say or i should say and also what (laughs) i'll say is that like I would encourage you to also think about this as being like, do you want to fake orgasms for the rest of your life, right? Or do you want to do what Sierra has been talking about this in saying like, this is, you have the opportunity here to have better sex by being honest, more honest about what you're doing and how you're feeling, right? You shouldn't have to fake an orgasm in order to get your partner to stop or to like signify to your partner when you're ready to stop having sex, right? Like, and I, and I appreciate that he's doing other things to get you off for sure. But like, 
but this isn't getting you off. And so do you want to continue to pretend that it is for the rest of your life? Or do you want to stop and say, like, I'm actually only going to say things get me off when they get me off because I deserve to to come in ways that actually make me come. Right. Well, and I think the I think the beautiful thing about this letter. And this is what I will leave you with, my darling, is that this could be a metaphor for so many different things outside of sex, so many different mm. performative behaviors, um, exchanges, uh, boundary crossing. You know, we all do things like faking an orgasm at all, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, to for the benefit and pleasure of other people, even when it doesn't serve our authenticity, our happiness, our pleasure and our growth. We all do these things. And the magical, beautiful thing is one day we can decide that we don't want to do that dance anymore. We don't mm-hmm. want to we don't want to fake it anymore. And that can be your queerness. That can be your orgasms. That can be your mm. life's greatest desire that you want to be like. Like you want to work in the circus and you don't want to be a lawyer anymore. You know, we, we all do these performative things in and out of the bedroom and we do them kindly and lovingly for the benefit of others, even though we know we are sacrificing our own happiness. But we mm. have an opportunity every morning we wake up. We have an opportunity to recommit to the authentic happiness that we all deserve. You deserve that. You deserve to be able to talk to your boyfriend like this. You're not a bad person and your relationship deserves this as well. Absolutely. And I think when you talk to your boyfriend about this, a couple things that I would just recommend that you that you do. um, I would say tie this to the conversation that you've already had about why you feel the need to perform during sex. Right. And and sort of talk about it as an extension of that and say, like, this is something that I'm continuing to struggle with. And this is how it came out in our relationship. I would say apologize, right? And hold yourself accountability to the pain that this is probably going to cause him. Because yes, you did nothing wrong. And also you lied to this person and he's going to be hurt by that lie. And both of those truths can be true at the same time. And creating space for him to have an emotional response or reaction to this fact I think is going to be really important. And owning the fact that like he's going to feel bad about this is also important. And the third thing that I would say is that I would recommend that you make a commitment to not doing this again and hold yourself accountable to that commitment. Right. Because what's going to happen in his brain is like now he doesn't know when we're faking and when we're doing the real thing. And so being explicit, like I promise that I won't do this again and actually holding yourself to that is I think the only way that you're going to build back up that trust to make sure that he isn't constantly in his head thinking like, is she faking this orgasm? (laughs) Yeah. And, and this is a lifelong thing too. I want to say that is that like, Mm -hmm. I have faked orgasms my whole life because of the discomfort that comes with disappointing your partner or the pressure you feel or whatever. Um, For sure. I'm thankfully at a point in my life where I don't have to do that anymore. But I want to say I've constantly had to recommit to that authenticity and recommit Mm -hmm. to what does it mean to quote unquote disappoint someone by being your authentic self, you know, right? Um, right. that is truly like a part of my journey is trying to understand that being myself isn't hurting someone. So, Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. 
this will be a journey for you too. So it might not, it may not be a one and done sort of thing. Absolutely. Okay. It's obvious that we're obsessed with you and we're really grateful to answer this question. Uh, thank you so much for writing. We hope this helps. We love you. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which (laughs) um, I am never not in slippers. And these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers. And I love that they're slip on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right. Our next letter comes from Toxic Big Sis, who's writing from The Void. 
Hi, lovely people. I tune into your podcast every week and I find that it centers me in ways that I didn't know I needed to be centered in. Mm. Thank you for your wonderful insights and kind hearts. Today, I'm writing about trying to overcome toxic sibling rivalry Mm. that lasts well beyond childhood. I'm an older sister. My brother is two years younger than I am. We are both now in our mid-20s. I grew up in a South Asian family, and our culture has traditionally preferred boys. My parents, who are immigrants to this country, were never blatantly obvious about their preference for my brother. They were really good parents to me and supported me in everything I did. But while they loved me, my brother was their treasure. When I was younger, my mom would tell me that it is just a part of the tradition to prefer boys as boys carried down the family name and legacy, but that did not mean that they loved me less. She told me not to confuse tradition with love. I could not understand this concept as a child and felt like she was just making excuses for Hmm. favoring my brother. Little things were all it took to make me jealous. For example, my parents believed that it was important for boys to be able to provide for their families through achieving academically, making money, etc., As a result, they were a bit more focused on my brother's grades than mine. I caught my mom once reprimanding my brother for a poor test score by saying that he needed to, quote, be better than your sister in school since you are a man. Mm. When talking about our futures, they wanted to send him to a fancy prep school so he could be set up to go to an Ivy League college and then work on Wall Street. They let me choose which school I wanted to go to, but forced him to apply to schools like Exeter. Exeter? Exeter. Instead of feeling lucky for having the freedom to choose my path, I felt less valued. Another example, if we both said we wanted to be doctors, then my parents would say that he should be a neurosurgeon and I should be a pediatrician, which is not to say that pediatricians are in any way inferior to neurosurgeons, but I always felt something very gendered about that statement that bothered me. While my brother was encouraged to do well in school and compete in sports, I was encouraged to learn how to cook, clean, and dress well. My mom would tell me that she hoped I could marry a good rich man and have children in my mid-twenties. All in all, I felt like my parents raised us to very different standards. Even when I was a small child, I hated that. Again, I don't want to vilify my parents because they were very attentive and involved in my life. In no way were they neglectful towards me. Now that I'm older, I recognize that my parents grew up in a very different culture, and I could not blame them for internalizing the sexist views that they were raised in. They were trying to set us up for the best life that they could envision for us. But as a result... I was a cold and mean sister to my brother. I viewed him as the reason my parents did not have high expectations for me. My brother, on the other hand, was sweet and kind. He let me walk all over him. He was always on my side, and that made me angrier because his goodness only highlighted my bad behavior. I was always the villain, and he was always the victim, and this made me hate him more. Once, when Mm. he was in elementary school, he told my mom that he knew his sister didn't love him. My mom was heartbroken and asked me to be kinder to him, but I was glad that he felt sad. I wanted to use him as a way to punish my parents. I was obsessed with beating him in every way possible, and for a while I did. I performed better academically, got into prestigious colleges, and got a great job while he failed to meet my parents' expectations. His failures mended our relationship for a bit because I felt less threatened by him. He admitted to me a few years ago that he always felt like he was in my shadow and was the Mm. black sheep of the family. He said he knew our parents had great expectations for him and he struggled with depression for a while because he felt like a huge failure. It was the first time I ever saw him drop his guard like that in front of me. I always viewed him as a happy, positive person and had no idea how much he was hurting too. I felt terrible for never being there for him and for treating him like the enemy when he literally did nothing but try and lift me up during our childhoods. 
But now he's pulling himself together. He recently got a good job and a great girlfriend. As his sister, I should be happy for his successes. And I act like I am. I'm very encouraging and supportive of him. I'm trying to be a better sister. But in my heart, I feel pangs of panic. I'm afraid he might, quote, catch up to me. I feel a deep need to keep him down. And I know it's horrible for me to feel this way. It's strange. I've never had jealousy problems with my friends, but the sibling rivalry seems to turn me into a crazy, crazy evil person. Hmm. I go so far as to worry about whether my parents will one day favor his children over my children. Hmm. What if his kids are smarter, funnier, better looking or more sociable? I can see myself being obsessed with making sure my kids beat his kids in every way possible. It sounds sick. I know. Ultimately, I know that my brother does not deserve this. I want to be able to have a good, real friendship with him. And I know that it's on me to fix myself first. I love him, but I also hate him. How can I do undo this feeling of hate that I have for him? Oh, toxic big sis. Thank you so much for writing and for trusting us with this story. I don't think we've ever had a question like this, but like Mm -hmm. most of our questions, I feel like it's incredibly poignant and could be relatable to a lot of our listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I normally joke and say like, what a pickle you've gotten yourself in, you know, (laughs) Genuinely. Um, but this is like a this is like a life pickle. <laughs> you know? Yeah, this is like you've been like you were jarred in the brine from yes. the first day. <laughs> yes, particularly because um this this could be so hard and is so hard to unpack because this has been your origin story. You know, you write in the letter that this is how this is how you grew up understanding family and your brother and um, I think Sam and I's first piece of advice, um, or even just our genuine, genuine response to this letter is, um, that I hope you are able to work towards forgiving yourself, um, and mm. being gentle on yourself for the feelings that you're harboring, because you, you are literally responding to the owner's manual of your life that you were given right like Mm. this is what you grew up this is how you grew up understanding the world and now you're unpacking those feelings and you're brave enough to look at them and say you know what i don't want to feel this way anymore like that takes courage but it's still it's part of your understanding of the world and that takes a lot of work and practice to unpack so I just want you to forgive yourself for for feeling these feelings for for you know maybe past uh understandings that you've had about your brother and family. You are doing the best that you can and um and you're literally, you know, you're swimming against the current. You are going against mm-hmm. the grain. Whenever we start to unpack or challenge the beliefs that we were given as children, we are going against like the connections in our brain. We are forging new ones. And that takes a lot mm. of work and a lot of courage. So be easy sure. on yourself, forgive yourself. And of course, that is like all of the advice we're going to give for this letter that can sound and can be so anecdotal and is a lot easier said than done. Um, but that's that is my first undeniable thing is that you are not a bad person and you deserve forgiveness and compassion and gentleness um, for literally surviving in the world as you were taught to survive. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to I want to validate you, too, in your experiences of your childhood as well. 
right? Like just because your parents didn't explicitly say boys are better than girls, seems like they said a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like they did say that. (laughs) Right. No, absolutely. It seems like they said that in many different things. And just because something is unspoken doesn't mean that it's not heard. Mm, Right. And it's not learned. And the, the examples that you give me, like that you gave us. Yeah, for sure. Like those are very real things uh, that happened to you. And they taught you a very specific way of thinking and being around yourself and your brother. And I say that because I I love how you are creating space for your parents as humans, right? And saying, it's understandable why they did this. They treated me well. They were never neglectful. And also at the same time, because we know that multiple truths can be true at the same time, the way that they raised you was hurtful. The way the things that they taught you hurt you, they hurt your brother. And both of those things can be true at the same time. And I say this because I am also in a time of my life in which I am deeply examining the ways that in which my parents and particularly my dad told me things without telling me things a lot. Mm-hmm. I have gone through 32 years of my life denying my own understanding of how my parents operated and what my life was like as a child. And I am in the process of really examining and understanding those things more deeply so that I can forgive them, Mm -hmm. right? So that I can actually do the practice, not just of skimming over them and saying like, oh, well, it was fine because they never did anything bad to me. It was just like, it was complicated and weird, but actually taking account and saying, my dad taught me things about life that hurt me. My dad did things to hurt me. Here are those things. And now that I've seen them and and validated them in myself, then I can work to forgive them. Like wow, I don't, we Sam. can't like we can't skip the part where we like validate our experiences. Wow. I think and I just say that beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and I just say that to you because I want you because I think that like I think what's happening in your brain is that like you're just like you took all of the anger and fear and um, resentment that you have for how your parents are ra- have raised you um, and put all of that on yourself and your brother. And like, that's really, yes. really hard. Uh, so how can you sort of look more fully encompassing at all of the things that that taught you to be this way and really examine them and then get to the point where you say, OK, and also I, I forgive my parents for doing this to me. And that helps you to forgive yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I forgive myself for behaving this way. I forgive my parents for teaching me this. I forgive my brother for not being able to be open with me. Like, it's all sort of wrapped up together. Absolutely. I think too, you know, your brother is, your brother triggers you because of your, because of what you were taught, but it is less about your brother and more about your what you were told growing up what you saw what you internalized um and maybe that i mean here's the other thing none of y'all listeners give yourself enough credit (laughs) because look at all the work you're doing toxic big sis like look at all the understanding you've already gleamed that you know Mm. this isn't about your brother but he is a sore spot to you he is the trigger he instigates these feelings that you hate having but you also intellectually know it's not about him. Um, and like Sonia Renee Taylor says um, last week's uh, blind date, you know, how is your old story 
standing in the way of your new one. You know, this mm-hmm. may be your origin story. This may have been the the owner's manual that you were given um, and that you that you learn you memorized by heart. Um, but it doesn't it. We can always change our stories. And I don't say that to mm. be to shove that positivity down your throat. Um, but but that this is our journey. This is our tasks in life. I mean, I'm so mm-hmm. moved that you just shared what you're working on now, Sam, because it's it, really we work to free ourselves so that we can free others. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Sam's action, he's working to free himself so he can free and forgive his parents. Right. So that he can live and move freely in this world. Mm-hmm. So. Like I said earlier, the things that we're going to suggest you, even the things that we've already suggested can be anecdotal and way easier said than done. Mm. But this is what we're signing up for. This is, you know, we we can retrain our ba- brains. We can, you know, one sh- small decision or big decision, uncomfortable decision at a time. I like to think right. of it in terms of when I'm trying to rewire my understanding of the world, first of all, you know, like my true understanding of the world, I try to think of it as like, what small demonstrations can I, can feed that, you know, what is one scenario in which you can tell your brain, oh, validate it. I see that I'm think that I'm fantasizing about my brother's children being more loved than mine. Validate that. Where does it come from? Where does that wound come from? And what does that wound need? Start mm-hmm. nurturing yourself, giving yourself what your parents did, didn't did give you. Even if they were great parents, they did instill this wound in you, right? Mm-hmm. It's the yes and multiple realities true at the same time. And yep. then you can say, start nurturing yourself and say, I am lovable. I am worthy. I am not um, constantly in comparison to my brother. My brother is not um, my competition, um, and then start to and, and use that small demonstration to remember what it feels like to contradict your subconscious, you know, mm-hmm. to reroute your your subconscious and start collecting those small demonstrations, those small examples. Sure. Yeah. Even saying like, I am held in competition with my brother by my parents, but I know that that competition isn't true. Right. right? Like validating again like yes this is mm, your legitimate experience of what's happening yes and you also know that like the fact that your parents compare you to doesn't mean that you are actually competing yes. <laughs> right like yes wow. it does not mean that you are actually in competition with each other um and i you know we talk about this a lot but like the the point of this head and heart work isn't to stop the intrusive thoughts from happening right it isn't to stop us from having these these thoughts or feelings about someone it's about noticing them and developing tools to find a different way to react to it so like yeah. we're never gonna you know like i'm never going to not say sam you're so stupid to your myself in my head right like that is continue going to continue to happen but now what i have are tools to sit to stop notice and say like that's negative self-talk i know that that's not true i'm going to breathe i'm going to relax my body and i'm going to remind myself that i have abundance and that i am actually a very smart person <laughs> right? right like right and and so i you're not a bad person for having these feelings and thoughts about your brother and and you're never going to not have these thoughts about your brother but how do you release yourself from the guilt of that and then find different ways of reminding yourself that the things that your brain is telling you aren't true? 
Yeah. And, and that's what the head and heart work is, is like, it's not about stopping those things, stopping those feelings, but it's about responding to those feelings differently and recognizing them for what they actually are, right? Like taking their power away. Yeah. Because if our standard is, I never want to think badly about my brother, that's an impossible standard that you are never going to hit. Yeah. If, but if the standard is, I want to challenge the negative thoughts that I have about my brother and find different ways of being positive towards him. Great. We right. can absolutely do that. I also really appreciate and um, the vulnerability in you sharing the the fantasy about your brother's siblings or your brother's children and your children um, mm-hmm. and how you write like it sounds sick. I know. And I just want to point out like. Let's take that word sick and I don't want to th- say I'm not going to use that word like like depraved or um, evil. Right. It's not sick. It could but I do want you to think of it like a sickness, right? That you that you were given this understanding of the universe. And now in this fantasy of your future offspring, you're going to continue that sickness, right? You, what you're imagining is like, oh, my God, I was in competition with my brother or my parents placed me in competition with my brother. And so now I'm going to extend that generational trauma and place mm. my child in competition with my brother's ch- children. And I, I, I point that out. Um, not because I think you're sick or depraved, but because we carry generational sicknesses, right? We carry mm. generational trauma and understandings of our place in our in the world. And the and but I want to say explicitly, it is possible to break those generational patterns. It is you can I want you in these fantasies, like like, like Sam said, or daydreams, I should say, like Sam says, I want you to acknowledge the wound, right? Say like, okay. So I'm feeling pressure that even our ch- my child would would be less loved than my brother's child. But how can you f- in that imagination in that daydream? How can you free your child too? Right? How can mm-hmm. you say I'm not going to make my child carry what I had to carry? I'm going to let mm-hmm. my child live and be free and fuck up because they're inevitably going to be fucked up, right? You know, and <laughs> and I'm going to make sure that they know. Um, to the best of my human ability, um, that they are not in competition with anyone else, that they are loved inherently for who they are, holy um, and beautifully. Um, I, I I love that you share that with us because it's so vulnerable. But I want to flip the switch, you know, or flip the script. To, I mean, because you're saying it like, wow, I, I'm such a sick person. But instead, you can take this opportunity to say, like, this is where the sickness is going to stop. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, it's going to stop in me, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's real. And even just the fact of acknowledging it and working to, to challenge it is all we can do, right? right? Like, that's literally all we can do. I cannot guarantee that your your parents are going to treat your siblings children and your sibling children your children the same right like i cannot guarantee that and i don't think that that's an expectation that you can have but you can challenge that when you see it you can you can be explicit about what's happening and say this isn't acceptable and here's how i'm going to respond differently right like that's the only thing that we can do um and i would also encourage you to read the book that i love so much mm-hmm. <laughs> adult children of emotionally uh immature parents uh because it does what i love about that book is that it is all about not trying to change your parents behavior 
but instead changing your expectations of what your parents are going to bring to your relationship. And I think being really honest about the fact that like, there is literally nothing you can do as a person to prevent your parents from treating your siblings' children different than your children. It's impossible. You cannot change them. You are not them. And so with that knowledge, with that understanding of that's what's going to happen, how how are you going to move and operate in the world that makes sure that your children are loved, that your children are valued, that your children know who they are and what they bring to the world? Uh, because you cannot you cannot control how your parents are going to respect, react to it. And that's that's an unfortunate truth. And it's a sad one. But it's once we recognize that and the ways in which our parents are just our parents and they're not going to be any different than who our parents are and we can't get them to respond to us differently or we can't get them to to show up differently, that it's up to us to figure out how to navigate that space. Um, and so I would encourage you to read that book and to just remind yourself that like you cannot control everything around you and yes. how your family responds to anything. All you can control is how you love your children how you, love you respond to your brother, right? How you treat your parents. Like those are the only things that you can actually control. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like this letter is on the surface appears to be like, how can I stop treating my, like how, look at all that I'm carrying. It's all mm -hmm. my fault. I treat my, I'm a terrible <laughs> sister. I'm a toxic big right. sister and I'm terrible with my brother. How can I stop this? But at the root of this is the understanding that when we come of age or, or come to a certain time in our life, we have to start recognizing what our parents didn't give us, give us, and then mm -hmm. give it to ourselves. This is a, this mm -hmm. letter to me, toxic big sis, big sis is all about um, practicing that radical self-acceptance, radical self-love, and really starting to nurture yourself wholly and without the pressure um, and the competition and this feelings of inadequacy that were instilled in you as a child, what does mm. that self-love look like? Um, and that's going to be a journey for the rest of your life, because like I said before, easier said than done. But to me, this is all about self-nurturing. What do you need to give yourself? Absolutely. All right, Toxic Big Sis, thank you so much for listening. Um, stop calling yourself toxic. You're just doing the best that you can. Um, and that best is beautiful. Uh, we love you. We love you. Thank you so much for writing. All right. Our final letter is from Emmy, who is writing to us from The Void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you for sharing your wonderful insights on Just Breakup. I have listened to and enjoyed enough of your podcast to know that I am an unusual writer. First, because I am 65 years old and have been married to the same man for almost 40 years. We started dating when we were 15 and have been lifetime sweethearts. I can't mm. imagine my life without him, but that's where I find myself now. My husband has been a wonderful friend, emotional support, and loving and good father for many of these years. The problem is he has cheated on me in various ways over the years. I'm sure I don't even know all of the times and situations, but the worst was about 12 years ago when he had an infrequent affair with a woman who lived in another country. We went to counseling and worked hard to resume our life together. I wanted to forgive him because I loved him, but I never really trusted him again. We mm. are good together, loving and fun. That was somewhat impacted when I discovered he had a stash of women's sexy clothing in the house and had dressed as a woman to visit gay and transgender, transgender bars while he was tra traveling for work. I asked him about this, quote, alternative life as gently as I could. 
I just wanted him to explain what was going on. Instead, he threw out all of his sexy clothes and said it was just a passing interest that meant nothing to him. I wanted to believe him. I asked if he thought he was gay, and he said no, and I accepted that for my own benefit. I wanted our marriage and relationship to continue as it had been. I don't know how often he thought about this elephant in the room, but I was amazingly able to ignore it as long as we remained happy together. Hmm. Mm. Fast forward to this past year, my husband had an online affair with a woman he met at an airport. It progressed to them speaking and Zooming each other uh, every day and declaring their love and passion for each other. He was writing to her how she was, quote, the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. While the most complimentary statement I can get from him is, oh, you look nice. I called him out on this new relationship and he was devastated and apologetic and we went back to therapy. He swore he would stop and that he would never do anything to damage our long life together. But even while we were seeing the therapist, he would still keep up a sexy conversation with her. After the third time, I left him for a few weeks, but it is a pandemic and there's nowhere to go. And I missed my cat. My heart is broken. Meanwhile, while I'm trying to recover, I have found that he has also created a provocative and visually graphic profile on a gay hookup site. He has obviously done this before since he seems very specific and knowledgeable. In trying to figure out what was going on, I created a fake profile of myself as a gay man looking to hook up. It has been quite eye-opening. I have been having online sex conversations with my husband for six months. I hate I, myself. I, Go ahead. No, I just love that the the way that you describe that is it's been very eye opening. <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself for the simplicity. I hate him for bringing me to this place. I hate myself for still being here with him because after almost 40 years of living and loving my best friend and husband, I don't know how to talk to him and I don't know how to leave. I'm terrified mm. of being alone. I'm a shy person who does not make friends easily. Plus, I'm worried about him. I don't want to out him and I don't even know how to begin a conversation with him without making him become furious. He's a lovely man, except he obviously believes it's okay to cheat and lie to me as long as I don't find out. All his sneaking around has made me a bit of an amateur detective going through his phone. I hate it, but I can't take any more surprises. I could easily mm -hmm. stay where I am as long as I pretend everything's okay. Then it can be okay, but I'm starting to think that I'd rather just be alone than stay with someone who, who is so undervalues me. I'm terrified. I don't know what will happen to me. Do you have any advice about how I can move forward from this awful place? I'm really losing it. Yeah, I can't show how torn I am inside to anyone. My heart is mm. unmendable. Oh, Emmy, thank you so much for writing and sharing this great, great heartache that you have. Absolutely. Um, I just am so sorry that you're living in this this sort of world in which everyone knows what's going on and no one is talking about what's happening. Mm. Like, I think that there's something that is just so harmful about those types of situations um, because it, it, it is doing what you said, right? Like you're losing it. You can't show how torn up you are inside because there's like this agreement that we're just not going to talk about what's mm. going on. Um, and that is just, that is such a uniquely, uh, challenging place to be it is like a unique type of hurt to 
to not only be hurt by the actions of the person that you love so much, but also to have this like shared agreement mm-hmm. that you're just not going to talk about what's going on. Right. Um, it's just, it's so challenging to be in that place. Um, and I'm, I'm so sorry that you're in that and that you're feeling the ramifications of, of really that unspoken acknowledgement or that unacknowledged hurt that is so present in your relationship. Totally. It feels, um, I can feel your isolation through this letter. Um, mm. and there's like so many things I want to say to you. So I will just start and say kind of out, out of order, you deserve to be heard. Like you, you might feel as though this heartache is only yours to bear, but we all need other people. We all need support and you deserve to be listened to, to be known Mm -hmm. wholly. And I'm not talking about your husband. I'm talking about (laughs) your friends, maybe your children. I don't know what the dynamic is there, but like you deserve to, to not have to carry this by yourself. Um, uh, Your community members, your family members, like you are at this point, you are carrying around these secrets, all of this hurt uh, as an act of protection to your husband, but your husband is not protecting you. Your husband is not, your husband is asking you to carry all of this by yourself and you do not deserve that among many other things. For sure. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate you trying to create space for what your husband is going through too, right? Because I, I appreciate that that acknowledgement of the fact that like we're all humans and that we are all doing the best that we can and also other people's best can also hurt us yes. and hurt us oh deeply God, and that, that that doesn't mean that they don't need to be held accountable for the ways in which their best is hurting us. And and, and accountability doesn't... Sorry, Spencer. I almost called you Spencer. <laughs> so used to apologizing to Spencer for fucking up and having him edit it. Sorry, Sam. I just want to say, like, accountability doesn't have to look like um, outing him uh, or making him, like, screaming. Like, accountability isn't always aggressive or, mm-hmm. like, emotionally violent. Accountability can just say, can just be I don't deserve this I am going somewhere else so you have to deal with this and I don't you know like right. um I think we think of accountability oftentimes as very um aggressive I think you know mm-hmm. and and that's why we withhold it from people but in this instance like accountability looks like your husband having to deal having to sleep in the bed that he made mm-hmm. period absolutely yeah and I think I think we conflate a lot of times accountability and punishment. Yes. Right? And I don't think that your husband needs to be punished for Correct. what he does. I, but I do think he needs to be held accountable for what he's doing. And he has gotten off scot-free for the last 40 years. And I don't say that to make you feel bad about the fact that you haven't you haven't held him accountable to these things. Because it sounds like you've tried, right? It sounds like you've gone to therapy. It's It sounds like you've honestly even tried to have honest and open conversation with him about what he's going through from a place of love and curiosity. And, and I just, I think that he, he doesn't need to be punished for this, right? right? Like if he wrote in, I would, I would practice empathy with him and for sure have a conversation about what it means to like be of a certain age and right. Like, and B seems like bisexual and like, what is that like? And how is that impacting him? 
but also want to understand that like even though i can practice empathy for your husband doesn't mean that i can't also say and you're deeply hurting your wife yes. and your wife deserves better than that yeah and absolutely. you do you deserve better than that you deserve relationships where you can be yourself and where you can say the things right like where not everything in your life has to go unspoken and you're not carrying other people's secrets yes. right like you you deserve so much better than that and and I think that now is the time right like I think that you've given this like a really good go I think that you've done a, so much work here but I want you I want you to go to therapy for yourself yes. right like I want you to have a therapist for you Emmy and I want you to talk to that therapist about what you're going through and not just how do you mend this relationship how do you allow your husband to continue to do the bad things that he's doing without any sort of repercussions for it yeah I want to talk a little bit about um your age and I want to like call Sam and I in and our listeners into a little bit of accountability around the idea, the ageist ideas that we have about relationships and head and heart work and starting over. Mm -hmm. Um, There is, there is Sam and I kind of always like lovingly buttheads about the demographics of our listeners, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because um, I think on, we, it doesn't even matter that we butt heads, but Sam often says that our listeners are very young and a lot of them are, um, (laughs) period. But I'm always also really, um, humbled and grateful for our listeners who are 40 and above 50 and above. We see them and they're vocal and they're writing in. Um, Mm -hmm. and also a lot of our letters don't specify age. And I think it's an ageist assumption of all of us. We all do it. Um, like I'm in this circle too. Uh, it's an ageist assumption for us to think that either a at a certain point relationship problems don't stop uh, uh, don't exist or stop you know that's not true another thing is that after a certain age um you don't like we are denied the right to change a relationship or that like Mm -hmm. after a certain Mm -hmm. amount of time, you put a certain energy into it. And so you just have to accept it as though like our lives and our pursuit of happiness has an expiration date, which it doesn't. Um, I think I I just want to say that because I often read our letters and, and assume that they're people younger than me. I'm going to be 35 next <laughs> month. Like I assume that they're younger mm-hmm. than me because of the way we linearize, linearize <laughs> the, because the I way I love it. Things, I love this word so things, much. <laughs> the way that we make our life journeys and our growing processes linear when they're mm-hmm. often not healing is right. not linear. Growth is not linear and our understandings of love and relationship are not linear. So I just want to like call out ourselves, call in ourselves to, to reminding us that like at any age and at any point in our life, we can always re-examine the dynamics and our, and the relationships in our life. That is, Mm -hmm. we have an inherent right human right to seek happiness. Right. And that never expires, even though we are told by society, by an ageist society that it does. Right. Um, and, and I think about our podcast, like our podcast is a relationship podcast. We are millennials, I think Mm, we are millennials, (laughs) you know, we're hip and 30 something. And I just, (laughs) I want to remind myself that like, if, if, God forbid in 20 years, I find myself single that I am, I hope that I am, that I 
am treated with the same respect that dumped 25 year olds are treated um, and that mm -hmm. I give myself the same compassion, you know? Um, mm. So leading all of that little small rant to you, Emmy, um, when I first read your letter, I have to admit I was startled by your age because I think Sam and I assume people who are older than us don't want our advice. So I have to, I have to call myself out on that. And also I want to say how honored I am to to respond to your letter. I'm honored that mm. you want to listen to me. Um, and I want you to know, I wholly and genuinely think that you're a badass. And I see so much <laughs> hope and, and, and life ahead of you. Absolutely. I think that's so true. And I, I think this is a, one of the situations in which we say like this, nothing is going to change unless something changes here. Yes. And you are putting all of that awesomeness, all of that sort of bravery and, and audacity into doing these investigations and living this duplicitous life. And, you know, you, you said in your letter, I hate this. I hate yeah. that I'm doing this. Yeah. I hate that this is happening. Right. And so, okay, great. If you hate it, then let's do something different. And you, Sierra is exactly right. Like you have so much reserve to call on to be able to to bust out, to be like the badass that you are. Right. And if you don't do something different, then this is just going to stay the this same. This is your life. And it, it, it sounds like you have so much life ahead of you. Yes. And I would hate for you to spend the time focusing again on these in these detectives investigations on living this fake profile like you don't i want to know. see you you have all the information you need absolutely i want to see you investing the all of that intense energy and all of that brilliance into yourself and into yeah. into the next chapter of your life yeah. and into this amazing next thing that you're going to do which is beginning to figure out what it means to be an independent person to be someone on their own and you can take the fucking cat with you like yeah. he doesn't need to have the cat that's your that's your cat you take it yeah totally um i want to tell you a story from my personal life um my mother when i was younger was cripplingly shy is still you know struggles with social anxiety She's very shy but but was incredibly shy when I was in elementary school, high school at that time. And she she described that time um, and that sensation in her body as pain, painful, painful to, to, to interact with people or be in a scenario in which she didn't feel safe. For sure. And my mother is 65, 64, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, I just asked her the other day and she couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, she is, I need to tell you, Emmy, that my mother is now, and I, and I say this with no drama or exaggeration. She, my mother is unrecognizable from the woman who raised me as a child because mm. something shifted in her life. And she is, she is more alive, more full of life, more full of joy and happiness at this time of her life than she mm. ever was. Um, and she, I say all of this to say that you have a great amount of life and happiness ahead of you. And just because you have put so much work and time and energy into this one happy life path that you thought was yours doesn't mean there's not another journey out there for you and another journey that is just literally better. Like, like mm -hmm. take stock of what's going on right now. Take stock of how unhappy you are. 
this a next step up is is not too much to ask for. It's not going to be hard to feel better about your life, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. no, I take that back. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of discomfort and change and the unknown. We fear the unknown so much. So this transition is going to be hard. I don't mean to say that it won't be, but like to make your life more enjoyable it won't take a lot of that discomfort to, to, to make some serious change in your life, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And I shared that thing yeah. about my mother just really quickly. Like it sounded like a weird positive aside, like a look at this wonderful story. I just share that as an example that like our stories are never cemented. Our story are the mm. narratives that we tell ourselves about ourselves are always malleable. Um, my, mother is so full of life right now um, because she found a life that fit her authentically and pursued Mm -hmm. the things that made her feel good. Right. She abandoned the things that no longer served her like shyness, you know, like Mm -hmm. fear. Right. And, And it's not that she, like we were saying in the last letter, it's not that she doesn't struggle with them now, but she is better equipped um, to seek that authentic happiness. And I'm not trying to shove that, positivity down your throat but instead to hopefully hopefully awaken this thing that has been sleeping in you this Mm. this 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 deep understanding that you have an inherent human right to seek happiness that you have been denying yourself for decades absolutely and i'll also say too that like i am also a shy person and one of the things that i've learned is that it's much easier to be more outgoing when I'm not deeply upset with how my life is going Mm. and I'm not keeping other people's secrets for them. Mm. Right. Because Mm. like if you are meeting someone and you can't talk to them about what you're going through because you are ashamed of it or because like you, you don't know how to talk about the secrets that you're keeping, then like, yeah, what are you going to talk about? Like, how are you going to, how are you going to make connections with people? How are you going, not going to enter into a relationship with the person and not feel deeply ashamed of what, what's happening. Um, and so I think owning some of the truths that you've been through, really understanding that you don't need to be the secret keeper anymore, that you don't have to pretend like everything is okay when it's not, will actually help you make more deep and meaningful relationships, right? Like I'm still not an outgoing person, but I will say that like really leaning more into my understanding of my experience, being more honest about the fact that like their shit I'm going through, like, and talking about it and being willing to talk about it, right? Being willing to take up more space has helped me form a lot of really great relationships with people and has helped me even in like social settings, right? Like even at parties or like even uh, at work or wherever it is. And, and I think it's, you've just been holding on to everything for so long. You've been asked to sit And to not talk about the things that are obviously happening around you, but you're not allowed to talk about them. And I just think that getting out of that situation and recognizing that you have the right to talk about what you're going through with other people um, might help you sort of meet meet other people where they're at and and form really much more authentic relationship with people. Yeah, totally. And I want to say, too, just like Sam said earlier, if your husband wrote in, we would we would meet him with compassion and we would try to our best to, um, you know, usher him towards his authentic happiness as well, because it is obvious that you both are clinging to the known, clinging to the existing relationship, even though it's not serving either of you anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I want to remind you that although I have great compassion um, and 
and under uh and like fellow human love for your husband as well as you do too obviously mm-hmm. his growth his journey is not your responsibility and making a marriage work that is obviously so broken and not serving either of you is hurting both of you right it's hurting both of you mm-hmm. um and i want to say you know you're holding on to the known you're holding on to the relationship that has existed for 40 plus years. Um, but that relationship has changed whether you wanted it to or not. It's not the same relationship that it was 30 years ago. He's not the same man, right? Change mm-hmm. is inevitable. Change has already happened. Change is inevitable, but growth, evolution is a choice. So now mm-hmm. you have to choose to evolve mm-hmm. past this. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Emmy, we know that you have so much weighing on your heart right now and that we could never possibly tell you enough in the 20, 30 minutes that we respond to your letter. But please Mm -hmm. know that we think you're a badass, that you have so much strength inside of you and that you deserve to live a happier life. You deserve to not be lied to. You deserve to have a a partner in the future who doesn't um, do this to you. And your Mm -hmm. life is, you have so much life ahead of you. It's never too late to find that happiness. Absolutely. Thank you, Emmy, so much for writing. We love you. We love you so much. All right, this brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. Every show, we want to shout out something we love to set you up with. This week, we're sending you home with... A book called The Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge by Beatrice Chestnut. Um, and this book, uh, so f- folks might know that I'm uh, in a deep dive of the Enneagram right now. It's like, I just started a new job where they're all about the Enneagram. So, um, like a typical five, what I did was that I read like eight books about it. Um, and this book, uh, came recommended to me by a coach and it has been, um, really impactful for me in terms of more deeply understanding sort of my way of being in the world. Um, and I, I'm sort of an Enneagram skeptic, but I also believe that like sometimes tools just help us understand things better and give shared language to things. Um, And it has really helped me sort of understand more about some of the things that I tell myself and the reasons why I might tell them uh, myself them. I tend to find like as a five that a lot of Enneagram stuff is like, oh, fives are really smart and they put up boundaries and it's like, okay. That resonates, but like doesn't. Yeah. Um, and what I appreciate about um, Beatrice Chestnut's book is that it like it's so much more nuanced than that mm. um, and dives much more into like how it feels to live in a fiveness and like how it might like how it feels to do it as opposed to like what behaviors I exhibit. And it's been really enlightening for me to be like, yeah, I do recognize that. And I mm. assumed that everyone else just felt the same way, even if they don't. Um, and so it's been great. It's the favorite one that I've read so far. Um, and so if you're into the Enneagram, if you believe in it, or if you are like me and you're a little bit skeptical, but you love having shared language to operate under, um, I would recommend checking it out. Again, it's called The Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge by Beatrice Chestnut. Lovely. 
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes. But most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to hit that subscribe button so that you can get a new episode every Monday exclusively on Spotify. And consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, editing, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis. And remember, the discomfort of change is not a burden. It's a gift. We are meant to change. Like nature, we all have seasons. Every day, in every way, life is already changing and transforming and becoming even more exquisite. You are too. Lean in. And if all else fails, just break up. Just break up.